Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we got David. What up, Spook Kids? Spook Kids! Wee-oo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also known as Nightly. Freddie is currently not here. Freddie is under the weather right now. Um, if you follow him on social media, I'm sure you've probably seen him having his his absolute major movie marathon um, this weekend or this day, I guess, whatever day we're recording this on. Um, but Freddie, you are forever still with us because we are still a group of nights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So with the lights, sit back and let the darkness envelop you. If you like that and want extra horror-related content, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's night with a what? Okay. Before we continue our Somebody Call the Priest month, we are going to give a special shout-out to our patrons over on patreon.com forward slash nightlightpod. That's night with a K. But before I do that, Last week, I made a little whoopsie poopsie. Uh, I <laughs> also said the patrons' names that actually were no longer technically our patrons anymore, which is totally okay. Thank you all so much for actually uh, supporting the show when you did. And I appreciate that. And I'm sure David appreciates that. I'm sure Freddie appreciates that. So thank you all so much for being patrons. And hopefully you're all still kind of enjoying the show uh, for the freeze. So appreciate y'all still. But special shout out to our current patrons, Frank, Kit, Kristen, Laura, Bragalock, Spencer, Lizzie, Josh, Vaughn, Alexis, Johnny, Layla, Eric, Kelly, Daniel, Cheyenne, Carrie, Stu, Anna, Stephanie, Calvin, Drew, also known as Silent Light, also known as our podcast manager, Scary Stuff Podcast, Patrick, uh, hello, Je- uh, Jessica, Jarrett, Jasmine, Chantal, Rio, Jesse, Joe, Kaylee, Rob, last but certainly not least, Freddie. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. Absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for keeping the lights on, allowing us to feed our producer mainly. That's where most of it. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all so, so, so much. Now, continuing things with somebody called Priest Month. With... The Dark and the Wicked, which I feel like was an under-radar kind of 2020 flick, if you will. Uh, I was excited to see this movie. I saw this movie early 2020 um, at a festival is where I caught it. Um, And uh, yeah, I got thoughts, so I want to hear yours first. (laughs) Man, this movie is heavy. (laughs) It is a heavy one. Um, It's, I think, a a really good choice for our third movie of the the month because yeah. it really kind of shows a more grounded story when it comes to possession stories. Um, and it really does work on the fears of kind of being helpless and not being able to fight back against um, something like a demon or a dark entity. Um, right. And this movie does a really good job of making you feel trapped isolated helpless um and scared um and just it 
it's so weird how I feel by my perspective being that it feels very grounded. It feels very real. Um, right. Because, you know, whether we, I've never experienced anything like this. So to me, it, it's, <laughs> it's hard to believe that it is a grounded real story, but, um, this almost feels like what it would be like, what it would almost feel like. Um, and this movie has a lot of moments where it just feels so eerie and it, it, it feels different from our, like our previous two films where it almost feels like you can have a climatic battle against the entity. And, 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 and in this, there's, there's just no way you just have to no. accept your fate is, uh, has been decided. And, um, eventually you will lose and you're just going to suffer in those last moments. I definitely agree. Yeah. This, this movie is extremely heavy. Um, when I first watched it, I watched it inside of a hospital. Oh my um, God. Yeah. It was, it was in good reasons of being at the hospital. That was when Kathleen was having Ellie. But, um, when I saw it, I felt like it was just okay. When I first mm-hmm. watched it, um, I got what, what they were doing. Um, and a lot of people were saying that it was like one of the best horror films of the year and things like that. So I got really juiced for it. Um, but I thought it was just okay when I first watched it. But the second go around, this was my second time watching this. Um, I enjoyed it a lot more. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the grounded aspect behind it, because a lot happens in this movie, but not a lot like par- not a lot of like paranormal things happen in this movie. I feel like. Yeah, I think um, that's my, you know, because of my bias towards such whimsical, fantastic, supernatural. I I, I was missing that in this, but I. Yeah, I I know that it wasn't needed, and this movie was not trying to do that. Um, there were right. some very high moments in this movie, but there was also just random tidbits of like, well, this is a this is an interesting choice. I feel like this is a weak choice, yeah. um, whether it be by performance or just story beats. But I think overall, the the package is is good, and um, yeah. and I think it's a it's a refreshing uh, story because right. Like we said, it's it's very grounded. Yeah. Well, the next film that we are going to cover is uh, definitely 100% of your alley. <laughs> I think you are going to be over the moon with this next one that we're going to cover. So there's another Shutter exclusive as well, or Shutter original, I think this one is. But um, yeah, I and you know the the thing about this particular movie that I find to be. Uh, fascinating is the aspect of it really kind of honing in on the, the, I guess the fear of the audience, right? Like it it is a very secluded movie um, as well, which I also found to be super interesting. Um, And the fact that it came out in 2020 was pretty remarkable. Even though the movie was technically made in 2019, it still felt like it's very much on par with 2020 and how we were in that in that year where we felt like we couldn't go anywhere. That's a very uh, good perspective. I totally yeah. that totally went over my head thinking about, you know, like you said it coming out in 2020, that's a really good take. Yeah. So I, I feel like it matched the tone of what everybody was kind of looking for. Yeah. Um when it came to uh film and horror in general, um for that year of of seclusion and, and having to be isolated and things like that as well, so it, it's fascinating. But um, uh, same director of The Strangers for this one. Um, oh, so, I could see that. Yeah, so like I totally a, a, lot, see that. 
a lot of those those very interesting shots of like them not being completely centered and having other things in there. So like I so thought that was very very great. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Very much on on par with that. So um, I do like that Brian Bertino likes to do uh, different types of movies. Like he's 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 like I don't want to just be the guy who's known for the strangers. So like. Mm-hmm. He's he. It's nice to see him do other things. I mean, because he made that one monster film for A twenty four, the monster, um, which I think you and Freddie covered. I wasn't there for that episode. Um, yeah, but I think you and Freddie covered that one. Uh, and then obviously this one, uh, the Dark and the Wicked. I think he has another another film out as well, but I could be wrong about that. Not entirely sure. Uh, uh, yeah, not sure. It's saying that he did Black Coast Daughter, but I don't. I'm pretty sure he didn't do that. Uh, no, he was a producer. Uh, Mockingbird is another film he did, which I've actually never seen. So it's a found footage horror film. Uh, might have to might have to search for that one. Uh, but yeah, so four films under his belt that all seem very drastically different than the other, uh, which is great. Um, but who knows? Whatever. Let's go and jump into this though. (laughs) The Dark and the Wicked, directed by Brian Bertino, released November 6th, 2020, with a runtime of one hour and 35 minutes. Excuse me. No budget found with a box office, surprisingly, of $422,000. I was very surprised that this had a box office since it came out in 2020. Um, I assume it must have been drive ins. Maybe Only? you know um, I so the the poster is very familiar to me. I feel like I've seen the poster before, but I would I was wondering where I wasn't going to movie theaters in 2020 or yeah. frankly even 2019 really. But right. mo- when you say drive-in, that sounds yeah. about right. I wouldn't be surprised because I feel like I've I kept seeing this, and I could imagine back in 2020 I was looking at drive-in showtimes and all of that. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like around November. That's a really good drive-in time frame. Like when drive-ins, yeah. I feel like we're really starting to kind of boom and kick off and things like that. Again, um, unfortunately, it backfired and not many people are going to drive-ins anymore, which kind of sucks. But I think that's actually pretty remarkable for this movie to make almost $500,000 from just drive-in sales. Um, yeah. So that's pretty incredible. A uh, rating of 91% on Rotten Tomato. I personally think that's a little high <laughs> for me so, personally. <laughs> I uh, I went in blind on this movie, and uh, the only thing I context I had was that ninety one percent before I started the movie. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be yeah. a pretty good movie, huh? Uh, and then I and I uh, watched it. And, uh, I think because I went in not knowing anything, um, right. I was able to enjoy the movie more. But um, also, uh, I don't think that expectation in the ninety one percent like swayed my um, opinion on it i i I felt like i just took it for what it was well that's good that's good yeah um i i think because this this score obviously wasn't out when i saw it um so i think it was just the swaying of other people in the industry for me personally for this film um but hey i mean like i said i like it a lot more now and i have a bit more of appreciation now i don't think i'm gonna watch this again anytime soon though to be completely honest but yeah i feel like it's a too depressing to recommend to a friend for me personally it, yeah it was funny when i was it's it's funny that um to hear your thoughts on it because when i was watching it i was thinking hmm this isn't for the uh 
the Davy horror genre. This is more for the <laughs> Prince horror genre to me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because I like I, I I'm I'm lukewarm on it. Yeah, you know? so like, I was surprised I, to hear that. Yeah. Um I was like, which, oh, this is a little too big kid for me. <laughs> <laughs> which is, you're, that's funny you say that actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah. This definitely, it feels like it would be a me movie for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I'm very lukewarm on this one. Okay. But we open to the field of goats grazing at dusk on a desolate farm. A woman named Virginia is sewing some clothes as, as she sings to herself. She stops when she hears her, her warning system of bottles clattering together. She goes to check it out, switching the light off as she leaves out. The goats bleat as she comes into the room, assuring the animals that everything is all right. Checking on the strings of bells and bottles, everything seems to be fine. Virginia heads back inside her home, kicking off her shoes before checking on her bedridden husband, David. He's still as he breathes breathes harshly with oxygen feeding through his nose. She sits at the kitchen table writing in, in a journal, startled by wolves howling in the distance. I was curious about the startling of the wolves, I can only assume is that she was fearful for her goats. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, she was like, <gasps> and I was like, that sounds really far for you to be like, <gasps> you know. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so I can only assume that she was fearful for her goats. Um, I've never worked on a farm before, so I don't know how it goes. Um, but, I think, yeah. you know, with the context we have through watching the movie, it's she's probably just on edge and anything yeah. can startle her maybe there is a correlation with the howl but, yeah i mean uh, we get it a lot in yeah, this movie it, like there's a, a lot of howling noises which um i think it very much was like evil this way comes kind of feeling um type of uh like omens i guess is what i'm trying to say the goats are inside the barn, becoming frantic as the bottles and bells intensely chime and shake. A quick image of a bald man with white clouded eyes is caught lurking within the crowd of goats. They become calm. This was great. I think this opening is damn strong. <laughs> um, like, I'm, I'm on board with this fucking weird, creepy dude inside the goats. Like, <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, this opening portion to this film so far. Um, on board here. But back inside the house, Virginia's prepping food for supper. Behind her chair creaks and moves. She slowly turns around, seeing it right behind her. Title card. What do you think about this opening, David? Um, so I think it was starting off a little slow for me um okay and i don't know why i had that Im impression um initially watching it because it's the, the opening of the film right so i right i don't know why i was feeling that way but i i just want to be honest about how i was feeling when it was opening no that's super fair because when i first watched this that's how i remember feeling i yeah. remember feeling um in in certain moments uh i felt like the pace of this film took a little bit to kind of get going like the, yeah. the the gears weren't flowing as quickly as i was expecting them to flow yeah. um but i then that sorry go ahead i was gonna say i think in a retrospect um that it 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 lures to mystery right you're supposed to be wondering what's what's happening right. and right. i think it does that pretty well yeah i agree and i i watching this again a second time go around it feels it 
it feels like it makes more sense now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, Monday. Now morning, the goats are walking around the land. Virginia's daughter, Louise, makes it to, to, to the property, opening the gate to enter inside. She pulls up to the house, opening the door, calling for her mom, who's tending to her dad alongside the nurse. Virginia doesn't answer until Louise steps into her, to the room, letting her know uh, that her brother... Uh, excuse me, her brother got there a couple of hours ago, reminding her that she told them not to come. Louise stares at her dad as she responds that she told her that she was going to come. Virginia walks out of the room, commenting that she doesn't need to, need to, she doesn't need to be there, but she knows. Cut to her brother Michael fixing his tire with their neighbor Charlie. Louise pulls up asking if they need help as a jack slips under his hand. He sits on the ground as Charlie greets her. She asks if he's t- if he's taking care of their mom. He admits that he's trying, but he's glad they came out. She mentions that she tried to get there sooner as Michael comments about their mom looking tired. She agrees, claiming that she looks like shit. Fair. <laughs> he goes back to assisting Charlie with the tire as he stares out into the empty field. After packing up everything and later that evening, Luis and Michael are having dinner with their mom. She isn't eating as they both look over at her. He comments about the food being good tonight. Virginia doesn't answer him and continues somberly looking down. Luis tries to change the subject and question the animals having babies, but it doesn't matter to Virginia, reminding them that their dad said to continue working. That being what they do. Day after day, Michael suggests that um, that it's going to be okay. She questions him. Luis is about to do the dishes before Virginia continues uh, something being uh, continues about something being quote unquote stupid. Michael is confused, wondering if the doc- doctor said something. She slams her hand on the table, getting up, saying something about them being there. <laughs> huh. This was interesting. You know, for how little we get from the mother, I think she does such a great job of invoking that something's just wrong off or she's hopeless yeah something's off um and we don't get a lot of that we don't get a lot of direct language that states that um but just the small comments of like you shouldn't have come or Mm -hmm. this is this was stupid like i don't know like it 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 gives that little like pit in your stomach you're like something's just not right here right exactly and and it feels like you kind of have maybe a, a bit of a common case of depression right like yeah the, uh, yes. you know her having to deal with her husband being in this state this uh this unconscious state on top of all of that and having to take care of him and buy pay for a nurse and things like that like that i'm i'm I can only imagine how much of a toll that probably t- uh, is taking on all of them, but Virginia mainly, right? Because she's Definitely. she was the main one doing all of this, yeah. um, and I think that's that's the main metaphor of the film, right? The, the main metaphor of the film is dealing with grief before having to deal with grief initially, um, yeah. which is always a hard thing to stomach. Mm-hmm. But Louise calls out to her. Um, but she demands them to go home before storming off. The, the siblings sit on the porch, Louise questioning what that was all about in there. Michael writes it off the, um, that they deal with things in their own ways, knowing that their mom will talk if she wants to. He brings up his kids, letting her know that they're doing well. She apologizes for not calling. 
but he cuts her off telling her that she's fine. He shares that, th- that his wife, Becky, didn't want them missing school, but he believes that she's worried about the kid seeing David like this. She, she admits that nobody likes seeing him this way. He wonders when the last time it was when she spoke to him. She admits that it was around um, her birthday in May. He expresses his last time seeing him and he was barely there. She questions how long he's planning on staying. He guesses until Friday, asking her if she's still at the post office. She hesitates as she tells him that she's not while taking a swig of her drink. He understands that they they can't leave Virginia alone out there. She thinks that they should have done something, wondering if they should uh, should have at least hugged her. Michael sarcastically brushes it off, saying that it, uh, that would have made everything better. Well, damn, fucking Debbie Downer. They could have tried. Like, (laughs) (laughs) geez. I thought this was interesting. Us finally seeing the dynamic of of these two siblings. Um, Mm -hmm. They seem quite estranged. They seem like they don't talk to each other, really. Uh, They have their own separate lives. Exactly. This family feels like they all went their separate ways, you know, moved out, don't really keep in touch with the parents. The parents are isolated, you know. Exactly. Them trying to do their own thing. Um, and, it, you know, with Louise having to be at, at a post office job, which it sounds like she lost the job. Um, and it sounds like things aren't quite working the way out that she expected, I guess, in her life. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's interesting. It, but they I wouldn't say they hate each other, but they definitely are estranged siblings that – probably don't care that much for each other when it yeah. comes to uh, them having to do this initially be grown-ups and having to take care of their father mm-hmm. they are back in the house virginia's sleep with the tv on as as she lies next to her husband michael goes to take a shower as louise locks up and, and quickly checks on her parents she grabs a glass of water from the faucet staring at nothing before the front door creaks open again she turns around to face um, a confused and slightly scared, but she gathers the courage to cautiously approach the door, not noticing the figure standing in the doorway to her parents' room, staring back at her. Fucking hell. I, I you know, it's, it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of wrong for me to say, but this is what I wanted the opening to be like. Like, I don't know why I you wanted initially this. watching this movie. I wanted this from the get-go. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that we got it. You know, we're maybe like 15 minutes in. Yeah. Maybe 20. Um, so I'm glad that we're getting it. Um, and it's such a good touch that we see the figure and then we cut, go back and see the figure, but different sizes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this definitely got a little ooh from me when I saw it. Yeah, that definitely gave me some chills for sure. Um, and I, I like in this moment too when she's walk when she first walks to get the water, you can hear the TV playing. Um, when she goes back, um, after she's gotten the water and the figure is standing there, the TV is now is distorted. Oh, I uh, missed that. What a yeah, great I thought that was a really really clever, very nice. very well done. Um, you know, shadows in the darkness that always will reign supreme for me. Like oh, hell yeah. nothing is like as quite scary than seeing a fucking shadow in, in uh, the darkness inside of film. It, yeah, it, it's, it's scary. It's yeah, and it and it relates to everyone so well because like a lot. I feel like a lot of people do think they see in the shadows in the corner of their eyes, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. 
She looks around for a moment, but nobody is there. So she shuts and relocks the door, going back uh, toward the kitchen, being startled by her mom standing in the doorway, asking her what that was. Louise blames it on the wind before going toward her room. Virginia looks worried. While Virginia is cutting some vegetables, Louise is smoking a cigarette on the patio while Michael is sitting at the kitchen table taking uh, care of bills. Well, I, I wouldn't even necessarily say he was taking care of bills. He was just like looking at them very distraughtly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Virginia begins um, singing while continuing to cut the vegetables. He gets up from the table telling her to try and get some sleep while kissing her on the back of her head. She tells him that they need to leave, but he politely declines. She shares that uh, it, isn't, it isn't what they think. He asks what it is, but she doesn't answer him. He calls out to her before acknowledging her silence. She continues cutting as um, as he leaves out of the room. And this is so great because she's just trying to be a mom and protect her children in this moment. Mm-hmm. When she's yeah. like, you guys need to leave. Like, it, uh, Of course, for us being just like these characters, right? Not understanding what she truly means. But at the same time, we're seeing other things that they're not seeing. Um she pretty much is just like being a mom It's just like get out of here so you guys don't face what i'm about to face like i i'm fucking doomed i got nowhere else to go yeah it almost i almost wondered too because she's so almost nonchalant about telling them to leave that i wonder if there was a part of her that wanted them to stay because she that's felt oh alone God. and scared and yeah what a you know, great she, great great call out there i think you're absolutely right i think mm-hmm. i that makes so much sense to me that she would be slightly afraid in that moment as well yeah right not truly wanting to be alone but also wanting to protect her children at the same time yeah great call out the night is still as everyone ex- um ex- Excuse me. The night is still as everyone except for Virginia are asleep. She's still in the kitchen cutting carrots. Hearing the chair slide out and creak again. She stops but decides not to look this time. Rather, she continues chopping the carrots more intensely until she finally cuts off her fucking fingers. Wincing and sobbing at the pain, but she continues mutilating her severed fingers. I feel so bad for her. God damn it, man. That was a lot. In this moment, and you like, I expected it though. I expected I did too. something yeah. like that to happen, they, like her to cut herself. Yeah, they definitely telegraph it. And uh, I, these are the only moments where you'll catch me like covering the screen and looking away as I wince because I don't want to see it. <sighs> but then it happens for a while. And <laughs> even though I was like, because when I look away, I'm still looking, I'm just trying to get it in the corner of my eye. And I, sure, oh, it's gruesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was very gruesome. Um, it was it was a lot to handle for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was probably one of the most gruesome scenes besides the other scene that we get later um, from Michael. But uh, yeah, blood spots are on the floor, the fucking counter. They're spilling into the sink, spilling on the ground. Ugh. Blood's everywhere. It's carnage. Michael and Louise run out of the house screaming for their mom. They can't find her as they frantically call and search for her. Louise finally spotting her hanging inside the barn. She runs over to her as the goats all um, shoot out of there. She tries to hold her as she cries for her brother to help her. He runs inside trying his best to hold her up as Louise grabs something to stand on. He hands her a knife. She begins cutting down the rope yelling for him not to allow her to fall. He catches her. Um, before dropping to the ground, grunting at the weight in sight of their mother. Wednesday. 
fuck. Yeah. It's just a hard scene to watch. And, uh, yeah. you know, foul plays is here because, you know, as they asked later, how did she get, how did she get up there? Yeah. yeah. How did she get up there? You know, it's, that was, uh, definitely the eight old, the eight, the, like the old age question, old question, age yeah. old question. Thank you. Um, that they were trying to figure out this whole film in a way where it's just like, well, how the fuck, like, what is going on? What yeah. is happening here? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it, it definitely piques your curiosity, right? Um, yeah. which is fascinating. It's fascinating to say the least for this particular film here. Um, but I like that nothing, we didn't have to see anything else on this day. Like, this is how the day opened and and that was it. Like we didn't need to see everything else. Like we, we know what probably happened next. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was, uh, I thought that was a perfect way to kind of close that out, but I do want to kind of backtrack a little bit and go back to what you said about you wishing that the opening of the film kind of started in this way. I agree. I agree that this all should have been the opening. Um, instead of having a start with kind of the, bleeding of the goats and the fucking creepy old man inside the goats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, so I think, I think this would have been a, a, a pretty much a stronger opening for me as well. It would have, cause this right here ramps up to where you're just like, Oh shit, I am, I am in, I need to see what's going to happen next. Yep. Fage of the siblings somberly sitting at the dining table as Louise smokes and Michael ponders. Charlie feeds the goats for them, trying his best to hold back his tears. I felt so bad for this dude, Charlie, but at the same time, I didn't understand him. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you didn't understand him? I just his character seemed so unnecessary to me. I so I have to agree. I felt a little bad because at first I'm like, wait, is he the father? And then all of a sudden he's healed, and because they look. <laughs> Fairly similar, but similar. I, yeah, I I was able to catch up pretty quickly, but yeah, I I, I don't know why he was there. <laughs> like he was yeah, just there for the body count. Yeah, and that's what I was I was gonna say. As far as like the movie like storytelling approach, like why are you there? Um, but I think you're totally right. I think it was just to have that scene. Yeah, and I I think like ultimately him being there or not didn't matter to progress yeah. the story along like because we learn later that it whatever this thing is this demon or whatever it is is it wants david right yeah. like it wants david is trying to delete people from getting from allowing it to get david uh however what doesn't really truly make sense is that charlie wasn't really in the way it yeah, was just he, like <laughs> i would i would like to think that this demon was, or whatever it is, right, was grabbing whoever, and maybe David was whoever just harder was to get property because he was sick. I, I, it's, yeah. When you started like trying to think about it in that approach, like what was so special about David's soul when you had all these people that you could easily get? Like what, what was it about David that made it so hard? And you know, it started. It seemed like it started with him and it ended with him. Yeah, um, just when you when you ask questions like that, it gets a little confusing. Yeah, it definitely got a little confusing, a little convoluted for sure. 
They're hanging out with their dad as they wait for the nurse to come back. Michael gets up. She allows him to sit back down, but he doesn't want to. She apologizes to them, sharing that they made made them some food. Luis thanks her um, as the nurse sits back down. She explains that their mom was saying things and talking when she thought she wasn't listening. Um, not liking what she said, Luis questions about what she, what she would say. The nurse answers that she would sit beside David and whisper into his ear, but she wasn't talking to him like she used to, almost as if someone else was there, thinking it would be better if her family was nearby, praying for them each night as she would take care of David at night. She shares that she could set something up, believing that it would better uh, it would be better for them. Michael asks if there's anything that uh, they can do, offering to take him to the hospital. Luis vetoes, willing to stay there at night, wanting the nurse to to show her. He uh, he's about to interject, but she cuts him off, knowing that this is what they wanted. He puts on his hat and leaves out of the room. I uh, I think taking him to the hospital would have probably been a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was wondering why they didn't do that a long time ago. <laughs> I think that would have been a great idea. Um, we could have had a, a lot of this shit continuing for sure if we wanted to. Uh, but ultimately, I think that was a, a, a would have been a pretty cool decision to have us change our scenery a little bit. But I agree. I understand that budget is definitely a thing. Um, it would have been a like completely I, different movie if they switched over to the hospital and it continued. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think this was even filmed on like Brian Bertino's family's farm. Oh well. well, so like, like this legit f- was a very low budget film. Um, so it, it it gets the job done though. Like it's a great, it I think, setting for this story. I agree, definitely agree. Louise goes to sit on the steps before going inside her mom's studio. She looks at some of her work as her, as there's faint whispering in the background coming across a dress with a sheet on it. She lifts it, finding a uh, wedding dress that was made for her, causing her to sob silently. So I assume she had a breakup. I, I assume that's what that meant. <laughs> oh, you know what? I actually interpret it differently. I really saw it as her. Is her mom making this dress? Is that what's happening? Her mom made that's, the dress. Yeah. Okay. So my assumption is they think that their mother took their own life, but it doesn't make sense or maybe it affected her emotionally when she saw that her mom was working on her dress and right. she thought to herself, "What? That doesn't make sense. She was working on the dress for my wedding, but yet she took her life. You know, maybe that's how I interpreted it. It almost right. it's like made her emotional, and also maybe it started made her start to question like something doesn't add up. If she did take her own life, I'm sure she wanted to see me get married, or so on, or maybe what you said. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's definitely a good point though um, that you pointed out with that portion as well, because um, it's hard to tell, right? Like it, it, we don't know shit about them. <laughs> like yeah, the we thing. don't. Like we don't know. Like the the character development in this film isn't the strongest, in my opinion. But um, we don't know anything about them um, per se. I feel like we know more about Michael, even though we get less of Michael. Yes, we we see Michael's life outside of his immediate family. And I think the reason why we don't really get a lot of character development is because this is really just capturing something that happens in like about a week. In, the, in that week. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. In that yeah. one location. Or right. you know, later we get Michael's uh, 
different locations. House yeah. or whatever, yeah. Cut to them performing farm work, driving down a field with Charlie Louise tells him to wait. They go to a location by a lake where there's uh, where there's a makeshift pet cemetery. Charlie explains that he started bringing some up there, having a few favorites. Michael shares that he forgot about um, Vita. Vita? Vita? Um Char- uh, Charlie walks away. Louise questions who their mom was talking to. He tells her not, uh, not to bring that up, knowing that she didn't know what she was doing, continuing that she chopped her own fingers off and made herself die, knowing that it'll never make sense. As he walks away, she yells that she sh- that they should have talked to her, but he immediately rebuttals that they didn't while also agreeing. He heads back to the truck, throwing his gloves into the bed, Louise going up to Charlie, embracing him as she sobs. While she is taking a shower, she hears the door creak open, accompanied by footsteps. Annoyed, thinking that it's her brother, she calls out that she needs, quote, uh, three more fucking minutes, end quote, before opening the shower curtain, screaming and cowering in terror as her dad stands there looking over her with clouded white eyes. She screams for Michael as David pees on himself and shakes his head rapidly. She looks away, screaming that he's in there. Michael rushes into the bathroom, concerned as he looks over his sobbing sister. This what was, do you think about the scene? I want to know was, what you uh, I um I like this scene to an extent. Okay. I think this scene would have been a lot stronger if uh we would have had I don't know, like it it felt like something was missing from this scene. It's me. pretty short. It's a very short-lived scene. Um I do think the scene itself is fairly strong. However, there's some little bits. Uh, there's like a bit or something that is just missing to me. Like I feel like there needed something. It needed something else to really get a reaction out of me. I agree. And I don't know what you, that something else was, but you know, it's interesting when I when I saw this scene. This is where I thought, okay, this is uh, a Prince film, not a Davy <laughs> Boy Prince film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, something was missing for me. Um, I I don't know what it was. I think the rapid head movement kind of took me away from it as well. Um, I, I typically like those, but for some reason like this, I don't even know how to explain this. Like you can tell he was moving his head fast, but at the same time, it looked kind of slow. Like, like I, like the blur effect was off or something. Yeah. Um, like I, I I don't really know how to explain it. Cause like when I think of rapidly moving heads, I think of Jacob's Ladder, for example. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that would have had way more impact. Like to me, that that is it's just tremendously more creepier. It's an incredible effect because what they did was absolutely amazing. Of how they just had them move their head side to side, they played it backwards and then they sped it up to make it feel even more unnatural. And to me, that's fucking genius. Like I think that the, like that is fucking scary. Um, but this just felt like, I don't know, it felt like they were trying to hark it on a trend or something. So, I can see that. Yeah. They yeah. need to turn it up the dial a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. They check on their dad who's still in bed. Louise knows that that he was in there um, uh, thinking that she's hallucinating. 
Michael asks if she would like to talk about it. She doesn't, she doesn't, going to have a cigarette instead. He mentions that he could come out with her. She walks off calling herself stupid. He waits a moment before leaving out. A journal drops next to his foot and he, uh, and he picks it up. Excuse me. Luis is outside smoking a cigarette as Michael comes uh, comes outside to accompany her. She tells him that she doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't mention it while he uh, pats the diary on his leg. He sits next to her, letting her know that he found their mom's diary. She wonders if he looked inside. He admits that he read the last page. She asks what it says. He opens the book, reading, quote, I know he's there in the darkness. Help me. Help me, please. He's killing David. He can't breathe anymore. There's nothing I can do to stop it. Devil, devil, devil. He wants David's soul. End quote. Thursday. To me, this was the scariest part of the movie. I agree. So my <laughs> favorite part of the movie is the moments where they, diary readings. when they read the diary. Yeah, because it's so disturbing. You can feel the the plead for salvation and it's yeah. just twisted the way it's described because you start imagining it yourself at, from a perspective of someone that's just laying next to to your loved one right that's suffering oh man yeah it's so eerie it's very eerie it it feels it feels forbidden as yeah. well like it just oh my gosh like it it, it was the read the reading of the of the journals or the diary was definitely some of the strongest pieces in this film and they're written very well yeah. as well. So like, I, I personally thought that was it doesn't, fucking amazing. It doesn't come off as forced, right? It comes off as very natural. Like we said, this movie is very, feels very grounded and real, even though right. it's a supernatural story, but this feels like a, a real diary entry. And I think the next one that comes up is probably my favorite, um, like phrase from the diary and like yeah. my like high point of the movie. I agree. Next day, they are inside the studio. Michael curious how Virginia got up there, remembering the cop said with the tub, but he distinctly remembers that Louise moved it herself. She doesn't understand. He continues reminiscing that she was uh, she was a couple of feet in. Uh, excuse me. He continues reminiscing that she was a couple of feet in there when they found her, questioning how she got up there like that. She doesn't know. She reads, "Quote the voices in my head, his voice." He makes me want to die. I looked, I locked the door, but he came inside the room. I want David to wake up. I grab his hand. I squeeze it. Wake up. End quote. Michael pleads for her to stop, but she continues. Quote, that sound. So many mouths. He climbs on the bed. He hurts David. I can hear him. End quote. He shouts for her. Um, he shouts for her to stop, but she still continues. Quote, I see him. He laughs at me. He kills me. I'm already dead. I'm dead. End quote. Oh my Fucking goodness. That was the high Jesus. point of the movie for me. And it's Ugh. you you have to give this movie some credit for for that writing because I think most people wouldn't would be able to like visualize it from the reading and just feel yeah. disturbed and horrified. Yeah. It, it, this was this was scary. Like like yeah. the reading of this just felt so unnatural. And like I don't even know how they would show this. So like this was the best form for them to even go about this because I don't even understand how they would show something quite like this. I, I don't I don't think they can. Um, I agree. Because we almost this, get there later. 
Um, Almost. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think there's, this gives you so much in its simplicity that I think the yeah. only critique people could have is they want to actually see it. Right. Right. Yeah. Cut to them viewing Virginia's body at the coroner's. Michael thanks Tim for allowing them inside, knowing that he usually doesn't do this. He tells Michael that it's fine, handing them a uh, handing them crosses that they uh, that excuse me. He tells Michael that it's fine, handing them crosses that um she had in her pocket. Louise doesn't understand um what they are right away. Tim explaining what they are, and they they handed them out during Sunday school, wondering if she collected them. Louise looks at the bag, claiming that she didn't go to church. Tim gets uh, started on the paperwork as they continue staring at her. Later that night, Louise puts on lotion on her dad's hands. She's about to walk away before he begins to, uh, to have a coughing fit, telling him that it's okay before he, his coughing intensifies. A CG spider comes crawling out of his mouth. She frantically tries to kill it. Michael comes into the room, asking if everything is all right. She stammers that there was a spider. He questions if she got it. She writes it off uh, as it being nothing. I um, it, it's this is where the mo the film for me personally starts getting generic. Um, oh, okay, and I uh, it's this middle part of this film for me personally that lulls a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. And I just, I, I, I don't know. I just, I wanted to, to just be more at this point. Like I, I feel like things should start ramping up now. And yeah. I feel like things are trying to ramp up at this point, I, but I can see where you're coming I'm from. I'm still coasting. <laughs> you know, for me, this is comfort food. So I'm always going to take this. That's fair. No, that's super <laughs> fair. Like I, I, yeah, this is, this is where I, I started kind of picturing things. Where I was like, okay, like, sure. All right. Yeah. Spider coming out of the mouth. That's fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess it just, for me, tonally didn't fit how the mom was experiencing things versus how Louise is experiencing things. Because mm -hmm. the mom would like experienced it to the point where she started going through self mutilation, where Louise is now just kind of hallucinating. Um, so yeah, and maybe the mom did too, and we didn't see that part. But I don't know. I just thought that was fascinating for us to kind of get that correlation. I think I think we see it. Um, we probably see what the mother's experience was split between Louise and Michael. Right? Uh, you take two sides of what those experiences are, and you combine it, and that's what she went through. That's how right. I took it as. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I guess I'll take it as that too then. While she's in the kitchen washing some dishes, Michael let, uh, lets her know that he's going to get some sleep and will grab groceries in the morning. She wishes him goodnight, noticing the blood stain underneath the drain plug. She lifts it, rapidly cleaning up the blood, jump to her smoking a cigarette outside on the stoop. She opens up the diary, looking up uh, when she hears the wolves howling from the distance. She doesn't make much of it and continues looking at the diary. Louise hops in bed with her dad to uh, to sleep. Meanwhile, the light in Michael's room flicks on. Finally, he gets his fucking first experience. Yeah. <laughs> I like his experience, though. Me uh, too. But I, I, <laughs> it was I feel so bad for him, man. It's it's so... I think this this actor is great for the role because I agree. You know, he's he's a he's a gruff, tough looking dude, but the moments of fear, especially in relation to, you know, being haunted by his mother, he yeah. you really see the sadness in his expression, but not only that, it almost feels like he's becoming a young boy. 
Um, that's yeah. how I interpreted it. No, I completely agree because I feel like for his character, he is pictured as like the one who should be the strongest in this situation. But in reality, it's his sister because he's telling her multiple times for her to stop reading the diary. I don't want to hear it anymore. And uh, he's the one who who has these, um, uh, I don't know, these, these picturesque moments where I feel like he is getting the... Uh, the lesser amount of the reactions because of the fact that he won't be able to handle it as well as his sister. I feel like, um, so it's, it's interesting. It's really, really interesting. But, um, I, I, I think both of them are casted very perfectly for, um, this movie, Michael Abbott Jr. And, uh, Marin Ireland, I believe is her name. I agree. Um, but yeah. Um, he, Jesus, someone's like driving, uh, right, it sounds like they're driving a fucking garbage can. No, oh, good. All right, perfect. You, I definitely heard it. I'm not using noise cancellation right now, so I definitely heard it. Um, he wakes up, but nobody is there. He opens his door, checking to see if anyone is um, inside, but there's no one. He decides to turn on to turn the light off and head back to bed. He lies down for a moment before the light clicks back on. Now slightly more frightened, he gets up and cautiously turns off the light. As soon as he does, he hears the howls coming from outside. He looks out of the window at the barn, but doesn't see any critters out there. He heads into the other. Uh, he heads over to the other window, noticing his dead mother floating upward in the field, smiling at him. It's the Jesus smile, man. Christ, man! The smile. I have goosebumps even thinking about it. I do as this well. This is the second best thing in this movie right here. <laughs> yeah. So the only the only gripe is like at this moment, I think you can almost see the smaller budget, but I think it still gets the message across. Bit. It's very, very creepy and disturbing. And I, 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 at least for me, I'm very empathetic for Michael because it's like, like I just agree. think about losing someone, like a loved one, and then just seeing them like that, right? Yeah. Especially yeah. when you're fucking getting woken up in the middle of the night, lights turning on and off, and then you look out the window and they start floating. <laughs> oh my god! Mom. You're like, yeah. oh god, this is this is too much. He's startled as his voice is singing um, loudly, in, or excuse me, as her voice is singing loudly in his room. Looking back out of the window, but she's no longer there. He cautiously moves toward the light, not noticing his mom standing right behind him in the darkness. He turns the light back on. Deceased Virginia stands right behind him. But when he turns around, she's no longer there. I Ugh. thought that was great as well. Yeah, these are great oh moments. Oh my gosh. Friday. Thursday, uh, excuse me, Thunder rumbles of Louise awake. She groans as she gets out of bed, going to the bathroom, putting her hair, um, her hair up before looking at herself in the mirror. Lipstick is smeared all over her face. She frantically washes it off, running back to, to the bed to check the, um, to check the bed. Moving the covers over, over David, she notices a lipstick container between his legs. She's startled by the phone ringing. She answers it, but it is dis- it is a disconnected line. The operator sharing that the news um, sharing the news as sh- if she made the call. She's confused as she hangs up the phone. It immediately ringing and startling her. Gaining her composure, she answers it. Virginia on the, on the line saying, "Quote, told y'all not to come." End quote. Fuck. Uh, yeah. So these are these are small moments that I I think are going to be s- small moments that begin the ramp up. Um, yeah. but 
you know, I, I don't know why I, I continue to empathize with these characters because I, I think about how um, Louise wakes up with all those markings on her on her face. And I, yeah. I, I, I think, how would I react? I probably would freak out just as much, <laughs> man. And then the, yeah. the, the telephone from, you know, the past, a, past, a loved one that's passed is uh, just always bone chilling. Yeah, absolutely. In some ways, kind of reminds me of like the black phone or something like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. This this was great. I I I do enjoy this moment for sure, and and I like how how she says it when she says, "I told y'all not to come." Like she, the way she says it, it, it doesn't feel somber. It, it feels like it feels just like I told you so. Like yeah. a mom, a mom reprimanding their child when they. Uh, do something when they already already told them not to do that. Like, don't don't touch that that knife. You're gonna hurt yourself. And then all of a sudden, the knife falls and they stab himself in the foot. And it's just like, I told you. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's a little extreme, but yeah. <laughs> Freaked out, Louise hangs up the phone. The phone, looking around the house as she curls up and on curls up on the wall. Meanwhile, Michael is driving down the road, noticing a priest named Father Thorne at the gate, waiting for them, waiting for him in the rain. Father Thorne was a fucking character. He pulls yeah, he up was. next to him, asking Father Thorne if he could help him. He knows Michael's name, hoping that they, that they had a little time to talk. Handing Michael a cross, claiming that he looks uh, like his mother. Inside the house, Father Thorne is reading the diary, slightly confused as he reads, "Quote: I won't, I won't know if it's them, but I hear their voices." they call but what if it's a lie he won't stop they they will die we're dead already spiders on my face like tears end quote well if that ain't the most emo line of the century that would be great in a silverstein song (laughs) (laughs) the last line piques louise's interest the uh, father thorne explains that he's uh he started to see her knowing that she was scared and alone but he was there for her wanting to meet them knowing that she loved them both so much willing to help michael irritatedly comments that he's done enough offended father thorne claims that that uh claims to not have known about any of any of this but Luis knows that this didn't appear this didn't happen overnight virginia having thoughts in her in her head i can see where they're coming from yeah you 100%. know 100 i do want to see where they're I, coming from for sure i do want to preface that like with the introduction of father thorn it's um i love the touches they do to like his character and you know as the conversation goes on we continue to get a feeling that something's off, like we mentioned before, right? And yeah. uh, initially you think like, oh, okay, perfect. There's a priest here, right? Somebody um, call but, a priest. Exactly. But <laughs> what's very interesting is that when you first see his face, his eyes are red. And I feel like yeah. to me, that was a dead giveaway of like, no, 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 no. Something's wrong with this priest. Like we can't trust him. No, for sure. Absolutely. And I, I completely agree. I, I think that was the point, right? Like, like for us to kind of really think like something's off. Yeah. And the, uh, the one thing that made me also feel like something was off with this priest is the way that he, his um, cadence of when he talks. Exactly. Right. Like it, it was very, it was like someone was learning how to talk. Or yeah. someone spoke a different language and they were they just learned English or they're learning English and practicing or something. Um, yeah. Because the way that his cadence was very much like like it was 
it was all over the place. Like it was up there, it was down low, it was in the middle, it was like it was all over the Ended place. Ended with a lot of hmms, like which yes. was very interesting. Yeah, uh, a lot didn't, of hmms. Didn't speak like a priest. And I think what's super no. cool about whatever this thing is that is like kind of infesting this home is that it it it's not scared of like Christianity, right? It's right. It's over here bringing a, a apparent priest into the home. It's also having no problem giving out crosses, right? In an abundance too. Um, and it almost feels like a message saying like, this is, this is not going to save you. God won't save you. There's exactly. You it can is. do. Like it, it's a, it very much does feel like that. Cause it, it, it's, it's like the devil handing you a cross, right? Yeah. Um, it's just like, Obviously, this is not going to help you right now. So mm-hmm. whatever you do, it doesn't matter. Those thoughts having to come from somewhere, and since he he, uh, he was there in the house, assuming it came from him, he understands that they are seeking answers. Michael adding that she didn't believe in God, and she never did. None of them believing. She comments that her mom thought the devil was there, but she didn't believe. Father Thorne asks, why does that matter, whether you believe or not? Using an analogy of a wolf cares if they believe that he's a wolf, not if he finds them alone in the woods. She asks uh, what he said to her. He smiles that he told her the truth. Michael aggressively correcting him that he told her his truth. Father Thorne nods, adding, <laughs> adding that <laughs> the same can be said about them and their family. He gets up, telling Father Thorne to leave. Louise trying to calm him down. Uh, Thorne not so apologizing, apologizing that he didn't mean to upset them. And he very much was just like, oh, I didn't mean to upset you. Like very condescending, <laughs> right? <laughs> Michael argues that he, um, that he is not wanting him to be to pretend like he didn't feed her this. The thunder crashes over overhead as Father Thorne comments that she needed someone, understanding that they cannot, uh, understanding that uh, they can understand that they were both alone. He gets in Michael's face, claiming that he didn't do he didn't do that, but he helped. Michael questions him, but Father Thorne stands his ground. While walking him out, um, Father Thorne grabs his hat, asking about David. Michael immediately answers that he's fine, Thorne thinking that, it, uh, that to be good because he thinks about him a lot. You know what's so clever about this? I just had an epiphany. By the way, that last line is perfect. I think about perfect. it a lot because clearly we have the vibe that this is um this is the dark entity, right? Yeah, that's right. That's controlling the priest and speaking on through him. But what's so clever about this move is through taking the guise of a priest and coming in here and being seemingly obnoxiously religious. Yeah, it's leading L- Luis and Michael to forsake God even more than they already have. Even more, right? Yeah, absolutely. So they they are clearing the room for any salvation through religion. True. Um, yeah, and I think that this demon is very intelligent in doing that by guising as a priest and coming in and saying, "Like I, I was using God to save your mother, but right. in reality, right? This is this is no man of God." And it's right. just kind of framing Christianity, Catholicism, whatever it may be. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, cause especially what we get later from what the nurse who is religious, right? I mm-hmm. mean, she very much in that the, she was very clear in the beginning that she's, she was like, I'm, I've been praying for you guys and yada, yada, yada. And then later on, she brings the, the Mary candle and all that stuff as well. So like it, it is very, very uh, aware that she is religious, but it wasn't enough. Yes. Well, while he's about to leave, Michael asks if he really thinks the devil is out there, that being his truth. Father Thorne comments that their mom de- um, did, hearing her warnings, questioning if they think she's crazy because she saw a wolf coming, knowing he's not there, but he's already there. With that, he leaves out of the house. Later that night after dinner, Louise goes out to the barn in the rain. Michael is, is on the phone explaining that he wants to come home and his, um, his mom was all that he had left, missing her and considering the, uh, the situation to be fucked. Meanwhile, Louise investigates where her mother died but, uh, by supposed suicide. He, wa- he wants his wife to stay there, explaining that he walks around there not, not being able to feel anything. And this is where he made up his fucking mind. He's like, I'm going home. Yeah. Like he made up his mind right here in this moment for sure. While Louise walks around the barn with the journal, Michael asks about his kids, wanting Becky to give them a hug for him. His voice quivers as he tells her that he loves her. Inside the barn, she reads, quote, He is watching. He waits. He is everywhere. End quote. The chimes and bottles violently rattle, startling her, thinking that it's Michael she calls for him. He doesn't answer. As he continue, as she continues calling out, a shadow of a man on the wall rises upward, towering over her. Cut to her and Michael sitting on the porch reading the journal. She knows that there that there wasn't that uh, they weren't. Excuse me. She knows that there wasn't. Uh, uh, in, I don't know what I was trying to say there. Um, I think I was trying to say that she knows that she's not crazy, uh, wondering if she did actually see something. He speaks up uh, that he saw something, debunking that it wasn't a dream and he wasn't imagining things. She tells him to look at her. He um, continues He continues to look out in the field, pointing out the, uh, to where Virginia was standing, explaining that he saw her through, through the window last night, knowing that it wasn't her, mentioning that, that it, was, it was scary and it can't be real. More wolf howls as as they go inside of the house, and the house is still. This is interesting. Like, we're really starting to get this dynamic of them breaking now, right? Yeah. Especially Michael. Michael is, like, done. He's so fucking, not checked out, but he's so scared that he's just like, I need to leave. Yeah, he's I disturbed. need to get out of here. Absolutely. He's, he's scared and disturbed, and I, I can't blame him. I mean, it's it's so conflicting, right? When you have like a, um, like you you want to leave, right? Because something's wrong, but like your your father's there and he's passing, yeah. and what are you what are you supposed to do? Right, and like that's why he, and he even says it later, but like that's why he left because he knew she, she would stay, which is so fucked up. Yeah, that like, is fucked up. Like you're gonna leave her there officially alone now. Like, damn. Michael wakes up from the rustling noise outside. The scraping continues. Louise already awake, staring at the door. He opens the door. She comments about um, something being out there. He walks over to her as she cautiously moves toward the door. She peeks through the window and it's Father Thorne, telling her to come outside. She tells, she tells Michael. He's confused, but decides to open the door. 
Father Thorne is cloaked in darkness, telling them to come outside with a minor growl in his voice. Michael doesn't understand why he's there at 3 a.m. Because it's the witch in our bitch. Yeah. Father Thorne repeats the request. He yells at Father Thorne that he just he can't just show up there. And he's and he's about to go outside as Father Thorne chuckles at him. Louise stopping him, telling him to wait. Father Thorne's response for him not to wait. She grabs a flashlight, shining it on him, his face pale with black veins and cloudy white eyes, asking them if they would like some rope. Oh, God. They are startled by the phone ringing, looking back outside, but Father Thorne is gone. Not knowing where he went, Michael goes outside to get a better look, but he's not out there. The phone rings again. She approaches it. He yells for her not to answer it. She goes over to it, picking it up and immediately hanging it back, right back, taking it off the wall to unplug from the phone cable. Now, when they do these moments here, they do them really well. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, like I, you know, I think this was very great. Um, the mom was great as well. Uh, to me, still nothing, nothing surpasses the diary. I think the diary is just so, so very, very well done. But this moment of him standing there, um, I would have loved it if they didn't grab the flashlight and they me just too. kept him in the darkness. Me I personally too, don't. I think us seeing it was a was a bit of a takeaway but i agree uh because the curtain was was like revealed uh, was pretty much opened at that point where it's like oh okay yeah so it was the demon you know but like it, him in the shadows phenomenal so yeah. well done with his voice telling them to just like come outside, come outside. <laughs> yeah i think what it was really powerful that he was repeating himself not saying anything else but ultimately his Backside, his sides were lit because of the front light porch, but directly in front of him, right. when he's facing yeah. the porch light, it's just black and black. darkness. And that was really powerful to me because, yeah, yeah, I, I don't think they needed the flashlight shining into his face. I think it took away from it. Um, it would have been so yeah. perfect if they just turned around and then he was gone. He was there. gone. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. Or them turn away and he was in the house. Oh yeah, you know, like like that would have been great if 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 they you know turned away and he was already walking into David's room, like that would have been awesome. And the door slams or something, you know. Yeah. That way we could have still had the facade of not seeing his face again, um, but that would have created an, an, another set of tension, right? At that mm-hmm. point, though, that probably would have been the Conjuring. But still, I think that was that that still like that would have been pretty cool. Yeah. In all actuality, it's tr- it's Charlie trying to reach them, pleading for them to pick up the phone. They don't. He tries for the line again, hearing his door creak open and someone walking around inside his place. He calls out to them before loading his gun to go see who's inside his home. With his gun aimed, he goes into the living room to find a doppelganger of Luis. Her body all stained and cut. He tells her to get out of there, trying his best to use his words as she brandishes a knife. Her motion jerking as she adds more stabs to her body. Her voice, a lo-fi growl of undecipherable words. He drops down, asking her what she wants, holding his head in pain as she whispers into his ears. (sighs) Then appearing back in front of him, whispering that he did this to her as she slits her own throat which causes Charlie to turn the gun on himself Saturday. So this was a little confusing to me. So 
it was Louise. It was, or is it, is it? It was the like, demon as Louise. But like, okay, so that's where I get confused. Like, how can it do that? And because I I was under the assumption that it would have to like kind of claim a victim before doing that. It's weird because like we don't really have the rules established with this thing, right? Yeah. Like there's there's not many establishing rules to to this entity, um, which makes it hard to decipher what what it wants. Um so it's I mean, well, we know what it wants, but like how it how it interacts, right? Um because we we hear later that the priest never even has been in that town. So Yeah, I want to talk um, about that later too. Yeah, so this was also an interesting moment to me. Uh, but what what was more interesting to me is just like, well, I forgot all about Charlie. Yeah. Until they so, brought him back right here. Like, I don't even know why he was calling them. What would like, it was just like, Hey, what you guys doing over there? Like, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it seems like, it seems like uh, we've mentioned it with a, a movie or two before where it seems like there was more to this movie and a lot got cut. Right. Yeah. And they decided to keep the scene in because they were like, Hey, this is a good scary scene. Uh, right. But it it did feel out of place. But maybe it it's showing it's like a foreshadowing, an example of like it's not contained in the house. It can it could reach people outside. Yeah, the it house could go. Too. It could go. Yeah, it's it's not just there. Um, it's actually haunting people, not yeah. haunting a place. Um, yeah. which is interesting. Um, I just find I just found this to just be so odd and i think you're right i think i think there is more to the story um or there was more to the story where charlie was maybe a little bit more involved um that or they need they wanted to hit a 90 minute runtime right yeah Yeah. which yeah they they nailed it um michael and louise are outside looking looking for any signs of father thorn but nothing she wonders if charlie is is um she, he wonders if Charlie has ever met him, but he hasn't answered his phone in two days, even though she keeps calling. Um, wait, two days? Wasn't it just Friday? That also confused me as well. Uh, huh. Okay. Well, uh, maybe, maybe he was going through his own thing for two days yeah, that we just different didn't see. Day. And, yeah. yeah, and yeah, that was like right. a breaking point because he already had his shotgun out and everything. Right. Yeah. Which is why I feel like this would have benefited so much more. We would have had a little bit more of Charlie. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. He groans that Father Thorne was just standing there waiting for him. She mentions that they need to take their dad to the hospital, not being able to keep him there. He agrees that they get that they will get a doctor over there. She questions if he saw Father Thorne's face. He walks away claiming that it can't be real. He tends to the goats um, as she sits on the porch smoking a cigarette. She calls Father Thorne, mentioning that they they spoke yesterday. He doesn't know who she is, questioning how she obtained his number. She reminds him that they uh, that he gave it to her, but he's confused since she called his room to his hotel. He questions where she's calling from. She answers that she's in in uh, Thurber, in um, which I think it was Thurber, Texas. Yes. Um, and he was there yesterday, claiming that he knows her mother. Uh, 
He has no idea where Thurber is, but she frustratedly cuts him off um, that he was there, confirming that he, that she's in Thurber, Texas. But he's never been to Texas, and he's currently in Chicago. She's in disbelief, seeking confirmation on him not knowing where, not knowing her mom, mentioning her full name. He asks if she's if she's trying to be funny, correcting her, claiming that that her name was Louise, calling, continuing that she she already knows that. And that she had a daughter. Realizing that he's actually talking about someone close to him, she tries to apologize. But he continues that his daughter killed him, uh, uh, killed herself um, a long time ago. Asked her why she would do, do this to him. She tries to apologize again. He yells that she sounds just like her. Okay. I need you to break this down for me. Because I actually just had an epiphany moment of what this was. But... What? How does this priest, the real priest, get the correlation of thinking about his daughter from speaking to Luis? Because they have the same name? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they so both have the name Luis. They both have the name Luis. Um, and I guess for him, that freaked him out so much that he thought someone was playing a joke. Uh, Got it. So. And. Uh, okay. So good yeah. to hear because I, I I was a little confused, but I, I'm glad that it's, it's just that. And I had this epiphany moment of thinking like, well, like, how does this demon be like, I'm going I'm to give you this priest's phone number, <laughs> like, right? <laughs> but I think, I think I'm starting to put the pieces together. It seems like this demon also had a hold of this real priest's daughter. Right. And through that was able to get his appearance up. yeah exactly and use that to then get in touch with the the strakers or whatever their names are um yeah and also be like i'm a i'm a hit up that that last that last uh soul quench by <laughs> giving you the number of the priest that i <sighs> ate the soul of his daughter of so i could reconnect with that or there is a connection because of that uh, okay, yeah. so it all makes sense to me. I feel like that was very confusing in grass, and it that phone call almost didn't feel needed either. But I guess it's just to further emphasize just, that that priest wasn't an actually a priest. Was, it was the demon. exactly. I think that was it. I think I think it was all for world building. Yeah. Um, you know, but you're right. It, it, I, I don't think this necessarily needed to be in this film, but it was to build the rest of the world and and to allow this world to to pretty much be inside of this demon's world initially yeah. okay but, yeah cut to the doctor checking on david not enjoying what he's hearing and finding he goes up to the siblings wondering uh if they've noticed any changes since they've arrived michael reiterates that they just want to take him to the hospital wondering what the next steps are the doctor doubts that he will make it to the hospital because he's getting weaker every day michael agrees that he, that a lot has changed the doctor admitting that it is too late to ship him out to the hospital louise comments that she that he shouldn't be there the doctor wondering if there's something wrong with his treatment Michael comments that he he isn't listening. Luis chiming in that it is their choice. The doctor putting his foot down that he can't allow them to kill him either. Michael looks over at him, concluding that they just want him safe. <laughs> that would have been funny if the doctor was like, exactly. So like, leave him there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. While the nurse is assisting David, Michael believes that that it takes a toll on her to see people in their weakest moments. And I feel like Michael's talking about himself. In this moment, 
not mm-hmm. talking about David. Yeah. She comments that um that not she comments that not being all that she sees, but there's a lot of love. Understanding how silly it is, but it's true. And I also think that was in response to Michael to let him yeah. know like like hey, like you're you're still here. You know, like you you obviously love your dad. So, you know, be proud of that. Be proud so that you're proud. you're actually still here. Yeah. Adding that she sometimes is the only person there when someone dies. He takes a seat in a chair and turns and turns toward the nurse, uh, taking off his hat, sharing that his mom thought something was coming for him, knowing that his dad was good. She comments that she she can see the fear in them, feeling it in the house, finding it fine that they don't believe in God, but she does, believing that there are horrible and wicked things in this world, coming for for whoever they want. But there's love there as well. A soul needing love to keep it safe. He hopes that she's right. The nurse agreeing with his sentiment. A three-legged goat bleats as it heads back toward the farm with blood on its missing leg. That's so sad. It was. <laughs> Michael is standing to, uh, to the hay, noticing the goat. He goes He goes to it, embracing it and possibly putting it out of its misery. Uh, him and his sister f- uh, find, find uh, that most of their goats have been slaughtered. Louise comments that wolves wouldn't do this. Michael agrees. He wants to call another hospital to get a, to get another doctor there tomorrow. She reiterates that Virginia told them not to come. He yells, God damn it! Before having to burn all the corpses of the goats. <laughs> that was the greatest fucking most country is God damn it I've ever heard. Earlier when I mentioned there's just random taking bits, take bits where I'm like, um, all right, that was an interesting choice. This is one of them. I'm like, what? that was just weird and out of place. God damn it. <laughs> Throws goat in fire. <laughs> Later that night, they are sitting on the porch, Louise wondering how many goats are left. Michael isn't sure, guessing that there's, uh, that they're to be close to five. Willing to check again in the morning, letting her know that there's a pregnant goat as well, wanting to sit with one to sit with them. She uh, she tells him not to, but he doesn't want to just allow them to die. Wanting to work, wanting to work since he's there, she cries, offering to go with him. But he pleads for her to stay with her dad, mentioning what the nurse told him. "Quote: There's nothing worse than a soul left alone in the end." End quote. Understanding that she wanted him to feel something, um, and he uh, he wanted to as well. But now he wants to forget about this whole place. She comments that he's that she's scared. He shares the same before walking off to the barn. <laughs> Bro was like prepping up to just like dip <laughs> in this moment. He was so fucking checked out. Yeah. Like he was like, I'm done. Like you you stay here. Like you're you're the <laughs> older sister. I assume she was the older oldest. Um, but it was hard to tell. I can. I never thought about it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, he checks on the goats and the new kids feeding uh, feeding on their mom. Uh, well, I think that's what they're called, right? Baby goats, kids. I think they're called kids. I wouldn't know. Yeah, not sure. Uh, I think I think that's right though. While Louise sits in in the bed with her her dad reading her mother's journal, while uh, Michael is tending to the goats, he gets a call from his wife. He answers it, but is startled by the bottles and, and chimes rattling, calling out uh, calling out to it while he pulls out his pocket knife, yelling for them to get um, <laughs> yelling for them to get. <laughs> <while> <laughs> cre- <laughs> 
Loud creaks around him as he yells for it to go. The room falls silent. His mom begins to sing as she walks toward him naked. Very unsettling. She walks right right through the lines of of bottles. Um, and she doesn't walk through it. Like she, it, it falls. She's tangible. Yeah. She's yeah, exactly. So she's she's actually there. Um, he says that she she isn't real as she continues moving closer toward him. He moves back toward the wall, closing his eyes as she as she's right in his face. When he opens them, she's no longer in front of him. She appears behind him instead, whispering for him to come to her. He drops to the ground with his own knife to his throat, gasping for air as he fights the urge to harm himself. Dropping his knife down, he catches his breath before sitting up. Back at the house, uh, the door creaks open and close, Louise staring out into the living room for, uh, from the bed. She notices Michael, promptly coming back into the house, Probably to grab his shit and leave. Uh, <laughs> he sits on his bed, rocking back and forth with the knife in his hand. While Luis is asleep, the door slowly creaks open. So, uh, someone breathes heavily as they walk toward her and, and David. The mattress creaks as they come as they come onto the bed, waking her up. She doesn't turn around. She doesn't turn over as the growling and snarling entity is on top of David. She whimpers, tenses, and shakes as the growling intensifies. Finally getting the strength to turn over, her dad no longer next to her. She looks around She looks around for him, hearing him moan above. He's on the ceiling, straining as he reaches for her. A man yells, run away! She screams, awake. Sunday. A lot's going on in this moment. Yes, I think it's very powerful when you have things happen off screen because it leaves your imagination to fill in the voids. And with yeah. the context of the diary reading we got before, the the sounds of the mattress creaking and hearing whatever this is start crawling on the bed and you just see it in the corner of the shot and it's just a shadowy figure. Man, to me, this was scary. And uh, very, this was perfect. Yeah, it was it was impactful. It, it got the job done for sure. Absolutely, well and I, you know, this is this is the type of ramp up I'm talking about. You know, where a lot of shit's going on, and obviously it's the third act, so like a lot of shit's supposed to be going on. But yeah, this particular ramp up felt so, uh, in some ways, necessary just because of those lulls that we were kind of getting um, in that in that interim of them like talking so much of like faith and wanting to figure out who the fuck this priest was um but i i don't know i i enjoy this part like i really i I thoroughly enjoy this part and and enjoy how they uh are starting to wrap this up uh shit lost one spot there we go Panting next to her unconscious father, she turns over to check on him, noticing that he has scratches on his neck. She calls for Michael and goes to check for, check on him, but he's not inside his room. She checks around the house, calling for him, startled by a knock on the door. Woman calls out to her. Uh, a woman calls out to her. Louise opens the door. The woman comments that she heard a scream. Louise claims to be okay. The woman intro- reintroduces herself as Charlie's granddaughter, and they have uh, been calling, but nobody answered. She shares that they unplugged the phone. She continues frantically looking around for her brother outside. um, Charlie's granddaughter tells her that Charlie died. Louise cries, not understanding. Charlie's granddaughter thought, uh, she didn't have a name. She was just Charlie's granddaughter. (laughs) Charlie's granddaughter thought that, uh, she, she should know. Louise doesn't find it possible since she just saw him. She continues that they, that they found him. 
then apologizes for her mom. She hears David coughing in the back, inviting Charlie's uh, granddaughter to come inside. She asks Louise if she needs help. She mentions that she has to check on her dad. The granddaughter stands by the door as Louise invites her inside again, happy that someone else is there. Finally, the granddaughter's tone shifts, smiling as she asks if she smells him. She inhales deeply, adding that she smells him too, knowing that he's close and rotting. Louise runs back into her dad's room to check on him, yelling for her to get get away from him to go to get out, but nobody's there. The granddaughter, or entity at this point, appears next to her, reiterating that he's rotting, startling her. She drops to the floor, crawling backwards as the entity approaches, repeating, all alone, all alone, all alone. Her voice distorts that the entity ends up next to her on the floor, calling her little girl. The granddaughter's eyes deeply blackened. She disappears. Louise stands up, closing the front door. (sighs) Man, oh man, oh man. I like this scene too. I had mixed feelings about this scene. Did you? I yeah. I, I enjoy this scene. Um, there are cheesy moments in the scene for me, though. The blacking yeah. of the eyes, I think, were a little unnecessary as well. Um, but to me, it was like, the voice that was a little cheesy. Was it the? Did her voice change? Yeah. So it was black eyes along with the voice uh, change. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. So like the voice change was was actually too cheesy for me and um i also thought it was a little weird that um after everything that had happened Luis is just like yeah come on in and or like i'm gonna go check out my dad come inside and it's like it, it felt very off like Careless. didn't feel like yeah it didn't feel appropriate for the character to be reacting like that well um, maybe the only way i can rectify or like I guess in my mind, be able to rectify that is the fact that um, even though, yes, I, I agree that it did feel a, a bit off that she just felt so like careless about it. Um, she it, w- it was someone that was semi-familiar, right? I mean, Charlie's granddaughter or whatever. And she's and probably in her head, she's like, oh yeah, I haven't seen, seen you in years, blah, blah, blah. Come inside. Like you obviously know the family kind of thing. So that, that's the yeah, only maybe. way I can think about yeah. her that's being... Fair so careless about that that's fair <clears throat> cut to louise calling michael but he doesn't answer she leaves a voicemail wondering where he is wanting to get their dad out of there the nurse walks through the door apologizing for being late asking about david louise ignores her as she continues trying to reach michael the nurse lighting a religious candle as she, as she prays over david louise plugs in the landline trying to trying for michael this way while driving he answers the phone apologizing to his sister she asks where he is she asks him where he is since she woke up and he was just gone thinking something happened to Charlie. He he explains that he's driving and that he drove all night, not able to stay there anymore. She can't believe that he did this. He comments that uh, that his family needs him. She yells as she questions him not, co- not coming to talk to her, not believing that he did this to her. He knew that she would stay. That Well, no shit. The nurse hears all of this as she knits, Louise sobbing that he left her. She stops knitting, cracking a smile from the news. Fuck. <sighs> This was interesting. Like, was was she going through a fucking like spiritual battle or something? Not, like, yeah, the, I'm not like, sure. Because she smiles from this moment, so we we can kind of like think that okay, this nurse isn't there, but there's certain moments that she or certain things that she does to not hurt Louise. So, so I I, don't I, know. I think. I think what it's trying to pull off is that this demon has 
taking a hold of the nurse, right? And then right. and the demon is excited that Luis is alone because it seems right. like this it's demon that much to, closer to getting closer to David. Yeah, but also it feels like it's able to prey on victims a lot more when they're alone and not only that in distress. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think because of the nurse's faith in God, she's able to have like an internal battle um, right. with her strong faith. And because there are, it feels like there are moments where it's like, she's like, get out of here. And but at the same time, she's like, I'm going to fucking attack you. <laughs> right. <laughs> drag your, your lifeless body around. Yeah. Uh, yeah that, I, I guess that was where I was curious. Like, if she was like going through some spiritual battle or something in the mean, in, in, in the midst of this uh, taking over her. Um, but I don't know. It was, this was interesting to me. Uh, he tells Louise that she that she always needs to leave, or that she also needs to leave. She sobs that he's her brother and that he's all that she that she has left. He comments that he loves Becky and his girls. <laughs> it's like fuck you. I love my wife and I love my kids. I'm out. You know. She, you know what? I, I I found myself like being like, yo, this is a very complicated situation, and yeah. I, I there was parts of me that could empathize with him um, because I mean we don't know how yeah. close he is with his family um, and it seems like I said they, is they, not very close exactly like they yeah. seemed estranged right like yeah. you know her feeling like like that's all he that she has left because like I said I think she was planning on having a wedding and it didn't work out um, and it, it sounds like things for her life weren't going the way that she expected it to. But I think that is the lack of character development for us. Yeah. You know, yeah. like we, we, we we're, we're really left trying to fill in the blanks here for these two individuals. Um, but, but it's, yeah, it's, it's refreshing, even though it happens pretty late, but remember with the uh, taking of Deborah Logan, right. Uh, the mm. camera guy just dips halfway through the movie and it's like, right. yeah, there's, there's so many times where we probably say to the screen, like, just leave, bro. Like I would get yeah. like, so yeah. this guy's like, I mean, it, it's bad. I, I have kids. I got a wife. Like I, I want, I love right. them. I don't want to not be in their lives. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and with all the spoopy shit that's going on for him anyway, I'm, I'm sure he's just like, <laughs> my dad's fine. Like, you know, like Luis is there. The nurse is coming. Like he's fine. Like, the, or yeah. he's convinced himself that he's already gone which he says. I think I think it's the latter for sure. Um and it seems like he had a better relationship with his mom than his dad. Yeah, it seems so, like it. Yeah, cuz he even mentioned he says the same thing that uh Luis says is that his mom was all that he had left. Like he said that to Becky. Like she yeah, was all that I had right. left. Um so like for him his mom was the only thing that he cared about. Um and his family it sounds like uh but this is, you know, I, I also empathize with him as well. Cause like, I'm very much like that with my wife, right? Like I, I, my wife is my family, right? Yeah. You know, so like, I, I can understand where he's coming from, where it's just like, yo, I, there, there's, there's someone in my life who is taking care of my kin while yeah. I'm away. And I want to go back to that. I want to be with my family. You know, like yeah. the family I made and I chose. So, like, I I can understand where he's coming from. Yeah, I can completely she, empathize. 
She cries that she's still there as he continues mentioning that uh, they are his life. Meanwhile, the nurse becomes possessed, I think, or already possessed, holding the knitting needles as a, as a spider crawls across her face. Luis wonders about their dad, and um, and if he gives a shit about him, he bluntly responds that he's gone. So I think you're right. I think he just felt like that he was already gone, um, yeah. yelling for her to listen to him, knowing that they can't change this and that it won't it won't matter and it won't uh, and it won't make, wait much longer before ending the call. He tells her to save herself. She continues sitting in the kitchen with the phone in her hand. She gets up to hang it back up, startled by, by the screams from the nurse. She runs to check on her. The nurse pulling the needle out of her cheek, yelling for, for Luis to listen, wondering why she doesn't hear, quote unquote, him. She stabs herself in the stomach, growling for Luis to leave as she grabs her and bangs her head on the wall. The nurse drags her unconscious body out of the room, stating that uh, Jesus is with her and she and that she feels him before stabbing herself in both eyes. So this is why I think she's going through this spiritual battle where she's like mutilating herself to protect uh, Luis, I feel like. Yeah. She's like, I, feel I, don't, like, I don't have much control here. I feel like that is the case. Um, I feel like initially that smile could almost be like, the the wonder of is this the holy ghost right right um and i think when she realizes this is something else uh she probably internally prays and Mm -hmm. that's i think you kind of see this back and forth internally of the demon going like i think uh like it the the demon's almost mocking her saying like right with you ha 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 like yeah and then she's fighting back as well as saying jesus is with me um, right. So yeah, I think you're right. I think it's the spiritual battle, and I think she also realizes that what's happening, and she she even mentions earlier that she feels like something's off in the house, and right. she probably is a little more clever to what's going on. Um, and I think yeah. she does sacrifice herself in order to to not harm her or let this demon have power because mm-hmm. she has faith in her faith and the afterlife. She's not scared. Yeah. Absolutely. With tears of blood, she is overcome by whispers of Jesus loving her. She smiles a, a bloody smile before trip, dropping dead on the floor. Cut to Michael making it home, calling for his wife and kids. He doesn't answer. He doesn't receive a response, even though music is playing inside the house. He checks all the, their rooms, but they are all empty. Calling for his wife again, but still not no answer. He calls her cell phone. Her phone rings inside the kitchen. With a horribly timed cut, he begins walking uh, toward the kitchen. Did you notice that? No. Like, so with this cut, he calls her on the cell phone and the phone rings inside the kitchen and he's about to start walking towards the kitchen, but it cuts to him dropping the phone and then walking towards the kitchen again. So it, it like it does it twice. Oh, I totally didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. Where he finds both of his girls dead, stabbed at the table, and his wife also dead on the ground with a knife in her hand. I was heartbroken seeing this. I was truly heartbroken. This was wild, dude. Yeah. Like this moment. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll finish it and then we'll talk yeah. about it. He begins to sob as he calls for them, dropping to the floor, gagging from crying so hard. Not able to live without his family, he takes out his knife and slits his throat, allowing for himself to die in the kitchen just for his mind to show that what's really in front of him. Empty oh. chairs. He re- realizes that he's oh. done. He realizes what he's done 
As he slowly dies in the kitchen, his family coming inside the house, finding him dead in the kitchen. And this was this a moment, Bravo dude. moment for me. And I think because of where you and I are at in our lives, we yeah. probably feel great impact from this scene. Jesus and, Christ. Uh, like I said, when he enters the, the kitchen and he sees his family dead, murdered, it's gut-wrenching. And... and and the way he reacts, I think, is uh, is a good performance. I think it's very probably accurate. And, you know, I sat there and wondered. I, w- I, I thought to myself when I saw it, like, the dead family, I, w- I, I said mm-hmm. to myself, what, what would I do? I'd probably end it right there. Like, I couldn't yeah. imagine living with, with that happening. And, you know, Michael seems to have the same thought. And, and, and... When he's doing it, I'm like, I, I, I can empathize, right? I keep saying I can empathize, yeah. and the moment when he sees reality and it was an illusion, I, I start shouting, "No, no, 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 no!" And I, I, I feel it. I feel yeah. it, and it has impact. Yeah, that was the perfect way to end his story. Yes. Like, it, you know, for him to go back, and in some ways. That was the whole goal for for this entity, right? Like this whole goal was just like it was pushing him because he, it, it, the entity knew he was the weaker one. He was yeah. the weaker. But one. But not only that, it, it probably is going to have its thorns in Michael's family now. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, being able to just kind of transfer on to the next set, um, it's wild. Like this was this was crazy. This scene yeah. was absolutely so incredibly well done. Um, but this reminds me of the mist. I don't know if you've seen that movie. We covered it, but I don't think you were there for that episode. I'm, I, Uh, I know of the movie, but I've never watched it. Okay. Um, I don't want to spoil it for, uh, for you, so I'm just going to say this reminds me of the best. Okay. Back with Luis waking back up uh, from the landline loudly ringing, David groans in the bedroom as she, as she struggles to get up, crying that she has to go. She apologizes before gathering more strength to try and leave the house. Wobbling from the blow to the head, she falls down the stairs, her father coughing inside the house. She looks up crying that she can't. The candle continues burning next to him as she goes back inside to be with her father she comments that she's there and won't leave leave him michael screams for uh for her thinking that it's actually him she calls out to him his voice yells for her to help him as his, as the voice changes she yells for them to get away the candle fizzes out and her father's breath becomes haggard as a wisp of the entity float out toward the door she tells him that she loves him and won't leave him as the as the floor creaks behind her. She watches and waits as her dad begins taking his final breaths. She tells him not to leave um, as she holds, holds, holds onto his hand, his breathing stopping. She sobs for him to wake back up. She hears her mom singing in another room, looking in the direction until the wicket grabs her and bites her neck with a snarling growl. Then, credits. I Very thought this ending was kind of lackluster in yes, some ways. I, but I, I, I will. I also had the same feelings, but I think it's what's more important here is how commendable it was for yes, Louise to to go back and be with her dad and not abandon yeah. him. Um, I agree. And the moments of the voice coming off screen and not seeing it and just going back and forth between her family members that are now have been 
taken, right? Yeah. I think that is good. That is that is you know traditional demon work, but it, it works here. Yeah. But yeah, ultimately the the last kill does feel a little lackluster, especially after yeah. the the. The brother. The strong moment we get with Michael. Yeah. This should have been flipped. I think uh, this should have happened first, and then we yes. should have checked on Michael. Um, yes. And I think that would have been a, a, a way more stronger ending to end off with Michael. Um, that would have been best, in my opinion. But, hey, uh, they decided to end it that way. And, uh, yeah, this movie is is – is good though. Like that's what I'm saying. Like this movie's fine. It, it, I I don't think this movie's great. Um, I think it definitely has its its gripes. Um, but I think this movie's a fine movie. I, it's definitely know? worth a watch at least once. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, at least once. Yeah, I think I think uh, it is worth the watch. Absolutely. Um, but I got a couple of movie facts for us. Yep, movie fix. <gasps> Uh, the film was, in fact, filmed on the director's family farm. That's how you keep a budget small and you, you couldn't make some good profit off that. True that. Uh, Ella Ballantyne, the girl who visits the farm, appeared in Brian Portino's previous film, The Monster. Cool. Oh. Yeah. When shooting the scene where the priest is waiting outside the gate at the front of the driveway and Michael pulls up, Xander Berkeley actually had a large spider dangling from his hat. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what? That's well, awesome. And I'm, I'm <laughs> sure it wasn't planned, right? I'm sure it wasn't, but damn, that's, that's I did not that's notice great. that. I didn't either. I would want to go back and see that. Yeah. One rainy day on set, makeup artist Tara Bra- uh, Brawley's truck got stuck in the mud out by the pet cemetery and was rescued by the um, the gaffer, gaffer um jesse curl and his equipment jesse curl is also the inventor of the of the curl grip and innovator of dolly grip grippy employed for the first time in this film what the fuck what is all hashtag ad (laughs) yeah for real (laughs) at uh one hour and 18 minutes and 10 seconds the um the votive candle the nurse places on the bedside table has the image of um, Our Lady of Guadalupe. The icon is uh, venerated mostly in Mexico and some places in the south of the United States where the Latin people live. You know what's crazy? While I was watching this movie and that scene was happening, that candle was right in front of me, in front of the TV as well, in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I mean, like, that, that candle's uh, like iconic especially yeah. for us living in california so like yeah. yeah that candle's like childhood and life but let us know what you think about the wicked and or the dark and the wicked uh great title by the way i think this title is fantastic um yeah, but let us know what you think over on twitter at nightlight underscore pod that's night with a k or you can let us know in our discord um which is also in our show notes so feel free to go ahead and let us know let's talk about it um but the next film that we are going to be covering is the cleansing hour which i'm very excited for david to check out because this is a david ass movie right here can't wait, can't wait. <laughs> But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we had David. Stay spooky, everyone. 
always and forever also known as nightly with your help we can reach more ghoulish nights with your recommendation to someone who would actually enjoy the show if your podcast app allows you to rate our show please consider consider giving us a five-star rating as it honestly does help us out a ton for extra horror related content head over to patreon.com slash nightlight pod that's time with a what okay and remember everybody don't forget your nightlight